Hey, it's Book Circle Online, and today we're talking to Mary Elizabeth Williams, author of a series of Catastrophes and Miracles. So stay tuned. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hi, welcome back to Book Circle Online. I'm your host, Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with Mary Elizabeth Williams. Hi. Hi, thanks for joining us. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm Absolutely. Having a great time already. Good, good, good. We haven't even started and I'm having fun. <laughs> good, I'm glad to hear that. And um, speaking of fun, while the book does deal with a time <laughs> when you are did have cancer. Speaking of fun, let's <laughs> talk about your cancer. I, I'm going to bring it back to fun. <laughs> no, I just want to let the audience know that while it is a serious topic, obviously, uh, the book isn't all gloom. Oh, no. You're a very funny writer. Uh, thank you. I wanted it to be funny. Yeah. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted it to be fun and funny and and talk about the fact that when you're in really dark moments in your life sometimes that's when the funniest things happen yeah because that's how life works out yeah and, and you're a medical miracle i am a little bit of a medical miracle congratulations Th on that thank you <laughs> but um yeah but very seriously it was the, the very first trial that you were on i was uh i was one of the first dozen patients in uh in a phase one clinical trial which means i was the first of the first yeah. uh, group of patients in this uh, clinical trial that uh, combined two different types of immunotherapy. Um, and what immunotherapy does is it's a really different kind of cancer treatment. It works by activating your body's own T cells, your body's own immune system to recognize and do what it's supposed to do, which is kill cancer. And yeah. it worked. And the exciting thing is, yes, I'm a medical miracle, but the better thing is that now my combination has been approved by the FDA. And I I get to I get to not be a medical miracle. I get to be someone who had an experience that I think is going to be increasingly common. Wow, that's amazing. It your um your experience too was kind of like the best case scenario results. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like insane. Like beyond my dreams, I think maybe yeah. beyond a lot of um a lot of people's expectations. I don't want to speak for my doctors, but it was it was surprising. I mean I was really just kind of went into it hoping to not die. Yeah. Um that's like the best thing or to just maybe not have my cancer spread or grow. Yeah. I had metastatic melanoma. I had melanoma in my lung and in my soft tissue and it was progressing very rapidly and what happened instead was uh, I got into this clinical trial and a few days into it I could see the tumor uh, that was under my skin getting smaller and a few weeks later my cancer was completely gone. Completely gone. It was a matter of weeks. Weeks. That's. Uh that's like unheard of. Yeah, kind of. Well, wow. now it's not. I mean, this Good. was, yeah, now like that's the thing, right? Like you want it to be heard of, you know, you right. don't want to be the like, oh, I like, I'm the one in a million, Yeah. you know, I want this for everybody. That's what I'm really, I'm really hopeful about and really excited about is that, that now we're in this moment in medicine that I hope is really a game changer. Yeah, and I thought it was so interesting, too. I knew that there were hundreds of types of cancers, but I did not know until reading the book that they were so different yeah. that a huge advance for one didn't necessarily mean an advance for another one. Oh, yeah, I didn't I didn't either. I was really, you know, you really kind of don't know until you have to know yeah. um, that cancers are, I mean, there are different kinds of breast cancer. You can have, like, 
a better kind of breast cancer. You can have the really bad kind of breast cancer. Um, there are so many different kinds of cancer and they behave in such different ways. And what I had, melanoma, behaves in particularly erratic and unusual ways, which makes it really difficult to predict the path of and therefore makes it very difficult to treat. Wow. Um, but yeah, there's no there's no one size fits all. And when people talk about the cure for cancer, um, it's not that simple because there isn't one cure. What you right. hope is that um, more and more medicine is moving in a direction of figuring out how to tailor treatment that works for the patient and figuring out what combinations of things work for what forms of cancer. And you don't actually like the word cure for yourself, right? You're just cancer free. Yeah, I mean, cure is a tricky is a tricky tricky word because as my as my doctor explains, you really can't um, you can't dive down on a on a fully cellular level and say there's absolutely. 100% certainty that you have zero cancer cells in your body. And the other thing is, um, when you set the bar at curing, uh, you're also setting an expectation that if someone is stabilized, if someone has um, tumors, but the tumors are arrested, that somehow that's not good enough. And that's great. You can live with cancer in your body and you can live a really long time. And if you set the goalpost at that, at being healthy and being alive today, um, and with good prospects of being healthy and alive tomorrow, that's ple- that's enough. Wow. Is, now, is that an advance of modern medicine that they're able to live with these tumors? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Wow. That you can, that now there are a lot of, um, I mean, but it's also, that's changing very quickly too. When I was first diagnosed five years ago, my doctors were talking in terms of saying things like, we're now trying to look at cancer as a long-term condition that can be managed and can be stabilized in the same way wow. we look at other long-term chronic conditions. Again, great, beats the alternative, Um, But as a researcher friend of mine puts it, he said, then we look at results like yours and we look at things what we look at the sort of things that have happened with you and we go, you know what? Yeah, let's let's just try and end it. Let's just try and get rid of the cancer. Maybe we can do that. Wow. Wow. So uh, back to the book. Why did you decide to write this and in effect relive the worst kind of time in your life? (laughs) Why do that? <laughs> I know. And it's funny because it's hilarious because um, Is it? a lot of the book was written kind of like in real time in one of the worst periods of my life. Like the the whole last third of the book is written in real time and if you read the book you'll see like I'm going through a really devastating experience with one of my best friends and I was writing it while it was happening. Why? Um why put yeah there were there were definitely moments when I was like why am I doing this this is really hard um but I think that there's something about contextualizing your experiences and turning them into your stories and figuring out what is the story I want to tell of this experience um that gives it meaning you know that gives it that gives it a kind of a, a structure and you can look at what you've gone through and go oh okay I did this and this and this and I had this happen to me and this happened to me and now I understand it a little better and it feels like it feels like there was an arc to it it feels like there was reason to it um, so it, it was always just I'm just gonna write it and um, and then when you write you have the wonderful experience of connecting with other people who are going through similar experiences and you get to hear their stories and you get to engage in conversation with them and yeah. that's like the best part it's yeah. not just you typing away in the darkness crying you know reliving your sad times it's um it's being there's able a to, reason for it yeah it's then you can like talk to somebody else and say oh my god you went through that too 
Yeah. Wow. That makes uh, sense more or less because I was surprised by your level of memory and like attention and detail. Like what you knew what you wore every time you went for testing. <laughs> was that because it was happening? It was happening and I was writing it the whole time. Oh. There was never a moment of it. Like I wrote my first story about cancer. It was called My Cancer Diagnosis, and I wrote it the day after I was diagnosed for the first time. So I was writing the whole way. And it was online within a matter of like days, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was I. My first story about my cancer went up less than 48 hours, like 48 hours after my first diagnosis. Yeah. So I was just writing the whole time, and I was um, I was always like taking notes, and I'd go into my appointments, and I'd be taking notes about like what I ate for lunch that day, or what I was listening to, um, you know, or like what song I heard on the radio. Um, and then I was also really lucky because so many of the people who were who were part of the story were writing their versions of it as well, and journaling, and um, and then they gave me access to to their journals and gave me access to their notes and let me collaborate with them on their stories my very good friend did that she let me you know interview her repeatedly and talk to her about her experience so I really um you know I really was able to get as much detail as I possibly could wow yeah wow and reading the book just with your father-in-law and your friend and then on top of that there's life things and your children are getting lice and they're getting <laughs> and strapped. And I got lice. Yeah. I got lice. <laughs> uh, like around your cut. Uh. Uh, yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. No, no, it's <laughs> No, not. it is. No, it's disgusting. Lice is disgusting. It's a horrible thing to have bugs in your hair. I've never read anyone describe it as like crawling and like a live thing, but yeah. it is. It's, it yeah, no, it's disgusting. Yes. I think I was being nice. You, thank you. You don't have to. It's okay. a gross, horrible thing. And yeah, I hope, I pray you never get it because it's yeah. like the worst. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> but like reading about it, it's wild and it feels, it's seems almost unbearable and I wonder like while living it did it feel like that or is it just in retrospect that you're like yeah wow this is a lot you know when you're it's kind of a little bit of both I mean when you're kind of in the thick of it it's yeah. so surreal it's just so completely like uh, out of the blue that you have to have a certain degree of like I've just got to do this you're a little bit in shock yeah. and what's weird for me now like this part now sometimes when I'm talking to someone about it and I see their faces go like <laughs> I kind of go, oh, I guess that was really intense. Oh, you know, and it's like, so yeah, I had this kind of cancer that like most people only get about seven months to live and they go, oh, and I'm like, oh, I guess that was kind of hardcore. Yeah. 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 When you're in it, it's like you just kind of have to do it. It's like, you know, how it's like the reason people can lift cars when they're in shock. You know, I feel like every day when you have a really serious cancer, you're just like lifting a car. Yeah. Basically. And then it, when it's over, you're like, how'd I lift a car? I can't lift a car now. So. And I've never read anybody describe like the details of it too just like with the bottle of Tabasco wondering if I'll be around to finish this bottle yeah that's so seems so like inconsequential but it's huge it's huge because how long do you keep Tabasco sauces for it just <laughs> made the perfect sense you know <laughs> right exactly it's like what's my expiration date yeah. you know and there was a you know there's a moment where my father-in-law is talking about like Christmas and Christmas being over and you know you start to think like is this like my is this Christmas really over do I get another Christmas and for me it was very much I was diagnosed um, in the early fall and it was the beginning of the school year and I knew that I had a kind of cancer that usually only gives you a few months and I just remember like just thinking all the time am I going to live to see the end of the school year with my children am I going to be there when their school year is finished yeah. um, that was like that was the goalpost for me and, and your children's reactions and responses were fascinating <laughs> 
because kids don't really have, um, you know, the great thing about kids when you let them into the conversation is they don't know, um, they don't know to feel necessarily shy or inappropriate and they don't know that it's, uh, it's not okay um, to talk about things. And I love that because yeah. so many adults are so awkward around these conversations and they don't, they don't know what to say. So they don't say anything. And then you're like kind of adrift. Um, but kids will, kids will say like, are you going to die? Kids will say like, what's going to happen to you? Or how do you feel? Or what's, you know, what's going on in your body? Why did this happen? Or, or you, you know, sometimes my daughter would just say like, I feel sad for you. Um, that's so honest. Yeah. It's really, the kids are really honest. And when you let them into that, um, experience, it's, I think you can get a lot from them. They can give you comfort and hope in a way that is really unique to kids and really special. And, and I think that that's a huge lesson for parents that are going through this because you, I think, made the really bold choice to tell your kids the day you found out that something might be wrong. You, d- you didn't know like what was going to happen. You didn't know what like the name of it was for. And I think letting them in at that time is was a really like bold parenting move. <laughs> Maybe, in a good or, may- way. or maybe I just didn't think it all through. <laughs> maybe I, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it as a chessboard that I would have to play through to the final. Moves. So that was not a conscious choice. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, it was. I, it was. But you know, I certainly didn't know how it was going to play out, and I didn't know how serious my cancer was going to be. Um, but I'm really glad and grateful now that 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 was how we did it. And and you know, I think we spend so much time in our culture feeling like we have to keep kids in this beautiful hermetically sealed bubble, and their life has to be like. A Disney cartoon until they turn 18 and they can never see suffering and we have to hide our our own fears and suffering from them and we have to hide our pain from them and we can't let them know that people die or people get sick um, or bad things happen in the world and we can't show them the news and of course you have to be sensitive to what they can handle and you have to be cautious of their of their feelings Um, but when you you talk about life and death and sickness as normal things that happen in the world and happen to people we love, um, then that's how they learn to be compassionate, caring people. How can they learn to be giving? How can they learn to be helpful to their friends when their friends are going through a hard time if they haven't had the opportunity? And, you know, you don't want to give your kids the opportunity to um, experience grief, um, but it happens. And when it happens, if you invite them into that and you you kind of invite them to step up, um, then that's how they learn to be good people in the world. I don't know how else you teach kids how to how to be caring, sympathetic, loving people unless you ask that of them. Yeah. And your kids did step up. They really did. I, and now they do it for their friends and they do it for friends whose parents have, have had cancer. And... Um, you know, my, my daughter had a friend whose mom died of cancer. Well, that's the thing. Was, she had a classmate who wasn't her friend and whose mom died of cancer. And then they wound up becoming friends because she oh. knew what to say to her and she knew what to not say to her. And she knew to just be able to sit with her in that experience of having your mom go through cancer. And wow. that's incredible. And to contextualize it for everybody listening, how old were your kids again when you first got diagnosed? Were they 12 and 8? They were 6 and 10. Wow. Yeah, they were young. And just hearing the moments, too, about your husband went out of town and you were going to have to, like, clean your uh, is wound, okay, to say? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Your wound alone. And your daughter, who you cannot get to pick up her dirty clothes <laughs> off the floor, yeah. says, well, I will clean. Yeah, yeah. My <laughs> daughter, who, like, won't. 
yeah, who I have to like tell to like put her clothes in the hamper was like, I'll clean your, I'll do your wound care for yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's a really unbelievable thing. And, and kids have so much, so much strength and so much desire to, to be helpful and to be good. And I think the other thing is when you give them a role to play in the experience, then it's not so out of control for them. Then there are things that they can do. And I think one thing I've learned, not just as a patient, but as a friend, as a daughter, is that when you say to somebody, here's what you can do to help, it's an amazing honor it's an opportunity. It feels good to take care of someone else in any small way. It feels good to be able to go like, this is what I can do in this out of control situation where things are happening around me. Yeah. There's a decision I can make. There's a thing that I can do that is going to make it better. Yeah. And I, I really got that because I think like you, I don't like asking for help and I don't like being needy. Oh yeah. Like, that's a gross sin, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's not yeah, yeah. really, but it's just like something you feel. And so seeing you do that like reaching out during this hard time and seeing the what you got in response was amazing. It's really, really amazing. And I really never knew that before. And when I was diagnosed, one of the first things that happened was a friend of mine who had gone through a very different but extremely serious life-threatening illness emailed me. And, uh, and the first thing he said was, this was my year. Um, and then he said, he said, let people do extraordinary things for you. And it was a really hard lesson. It's really hard to do that. But when you do, what you understand is that that's the nature of love. That's the nature of life. And that's the nature of connection. And connection has to flow. Connection has to be a two-way conversation. And even if you're giving, even if you're the one who's like, I'm just going to take care of you. Nobody has to take care of me. You're missing a huge part of the experience. And you're missing the part where someone has the pleasure of doing something for you. It's a very loving thing. And I now understand that like, give people that opportunity because it feels good for them. It feels good for me when I help people. Of course, yeah. And, And, but people's reactions like were bizarre to me as I'm sure it was to you that you made it, <laughs> yeah. you made it bizarre. Um, but I want to read uh, just the one quick sentence that you wrote about uh, the way people responded. Um, here it is. Disasters don't just show you what you're made of. They show you with savage clarity what everybody else is made of too. You had some good friends that didn't rise the challenge. Yeah, I had really good friends. Or not even didn't rise, but just disappeared. Like totally, yeah, totally ghosted on me, ghosted on my kids. That's the hardest thing is people who my kids really looked up to and really thought of as members of the extended family and kind of disappeared. That close. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like very close. Yeah. Wow. It's, you know, it's hard. But then what you kind of learn along the way is, is you know, when a good friend of mine was diagnosed, one of the first things I said is everything's going to shift. Your life is going to get shaken up and your relationships are going to be different. And it turned out um, people I really just assumed were going to be there through thick and thin weren't. But then other people really were. And I became much closer to other people and I made new friends and developed new relationships. And yeah, there are people who really disappointed and really hurt me hurt my kids um but i was never alone you are never alone in these experiences and when you ask for help and support and you put out love you will always always get it and it may not come from where you thought it would but it will come Mm -hmm. and i think with like the showing of love the 
again, back to your children, the way that your like youngest daughter comforted your oldest daughter at your father's funeral. Yeah. Just saying that like, well, that's not him anymore. That's his body and his clothes. Yeah. He's, he's gone. Like, where did she learn that? I don't know. I don't. Well, no, it was from my super excellent parenting. I'm sorry. I'd like to change my answer. <laughs> Good um... answer. <laughs> That's just beyond spirituality, you know? Yeah. I think anybody could agree with that. Kids are deep, right? Yeah. Kids are super. I heard her say that and I was like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. But I think kids are capable of that because they haven't been taught not to think that way. They haven't been taught necessarily, oh, we don't talk about this or, you know, we don't know what to say. So we don't don't do that and they don't know that certain things are taboo and they don't know that we live in a culture where you're not supposed to talk about sickness and death and and if somebody is hurting you're just supposed to like let them slink off and quietly sob by themselves because it's too awkward or embarrassing kids this makes me uncomfortable but good luck right 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 you know if you're around kids like they're just crying all the time (laughs) they're screaming all the time they have drama all the time they're laughing all the time like kids live at this pitch of emotion and energy and they can handle it And they can have moments in their day where they're sobbing and then they can turn around and laugh because that's what they do. So when you invite them into experiences, it's really normal for them. It's okay. Um, And I just think kids are an amazing, they're just amazing people when you let them be. And what they give to each other is incredible. And when you see kids supporting each other through their pain and their suffering, kids can give each other something that we grown-ups just can't. I love that. They can handle it. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. It's just like uh, the overprotective like nature of like parenthood right now says like no don't tell them anything right listen I don't like suffering and I don't like my kids to be sad and I don't want them to you know experience pain or whatever but um but they that's life and you want to be able to raise resilient human beings who understand that sometimes things are going to go badly but we have people in our lives we can count on we have support we have love we have each other and that the way that they they learn that is by doing yeah i have a question that might sound stupid I bet it doesn't. Okay, great. I bet it doesn't. So obviously, or I'm assuming, not obviously, (laughs) I'm assuming you think about morality and your cancer um, still. Is it something you think about every day, though? Yes, every day. There's not a day goes by. Wow. Yeah, there's probably not an hour that goes by. Well, maybe there are some hours, but yeah. No, it's always always there. It's just, it's just always, it's always there. I have... um, like my sense of taste changed from my um, treatment and it's not bad, but it's different. And so like, that's kind of what cancer is like. Like the cancer is literally like the taste in my mouth. That's always there. That's subtle, but huge. Right. So does Mary Elizabeth pre-cancer feel like a different person? In some ways, yeah, yeah. Like a um, close relative, though. Oh yeah, sure. I knew, <laughs> I knew her. I'd recognize her in pictures, absolutely. Sure. Um, but you know, my my daughter, who was six when I was diagnosed, um, said to me not long ago. She said, "I said, what do you remember about me? What do you remember about mommy before I got cancer?" And and she said nothing. And uh, and she was six. She had experiences. She remembers things that happened before. She was six, but she doesn't remember me 
before I had cancer. She can't remember a non-cancer version of mom. And uh, and she said that, and I thought, yeah, sometimes I can't remember me before cancer either. It just it just changes you in so many dimensions you can't even wow. predict. Like the idea that like there was a time when I didn't know how to talk about cancer treatment and I didn't know, you know, the differences between different kinds of treatment and I didn't know what T cells were and whatever. Like that's all gone, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like once you know something, you can't unknow it, right? Yeah. Once you see something on the internet, you're like, I can't unsee that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> wow. I was so interested too by the way you discussed that you are um missing this part of yourself that they took out of your head yeah because to me i don't think of my body as like being parts of me maybe like a finger which i see and like it's very useful but if it was a chunk of flesh like i don't i wouldn't think that there would be a connection of that can you talk about that a bit yeah turns out i think i think that there is and it's kind of you don't you don't hear a lot about that, but then when you start talking to people and you talk to people who have had surgery, um, a lot of people say, who I've talked to, and I wrote a story about it a couple of years ago, like a lot of people say that like they've gone through surgery and it was traumatic, you know? And the idea is, particularly if you have a, a surgery that is, you know, life-saving, the idea is you're just supposed to be so grateful that you got to live. Um, and believe me, I am. And most of the people I know who have survived serious surgeries are. Um, I mean, I've had friends who had a lot more taken out than just, you know, a little bit of their lung and, you know, the top of their heads. Um, but when you lose a part of yourself, there is... Like a, li- a literal part, we're a saying. Literal a literal part yeah. of yourself. Um, yeah, I think that there is a visceral grief for that. Um, and I think it's okay. I think it, we need to give ourselves permission to grieve. You know, what, we need to give ourselves permission to grieve for the person we used to be before something happened, whether it's whether it's cancer or divorce or deployment or whatever. Um, you know, to be able to say, I'm so grateful for who I am now. I'm grateful for what I have. But to also say, I can have that gratitude within an experience of grief and loss, whether it's the loss of, of someone you love or whether it's a loss of a part of your own body, you know, whether it's a loss of my, I mean, a lot of my friends have lost organs to cancer. And it's like, you wouldn't think you would grieve for, you know, your spleen. Um, but it turns out, yeah, sure. Why not? Why wouldn't you feel that? that difference in your body on a cellular level. Wow. And it's fascinating too, just reading that you thought or didn't view the cancer as an invader. Yeah. It was just a part of you. Yeah, I did. And I know other people have completely different and ways that's okay. of looking. Yeah. Uh, totally. Yeah. However, you know, however you get there, we all have, we're all different. We all have different cancer. But for me, it was, okay, this is my body. These are my cells. This is what my cells are doing right now. Um, you know, it's not a case of like, there's an, like, this is the invader and it's not, and it's an enemy from without, Yeah. you know, the enemy was from within, which means it's, it's part of me. And, uh, and, you know, the main thing I wanted to do was just figure out, okay, how are we going to manage this? Mm-hmm. How are we going to, to change, um, the conversation inside my body? Um, and then we did, but I always, I always just kind of felt like it's my cancer. It's my, it's my experience. Wow. Yeah. I feel like we're like loosely like talking around like spirituality. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Not it, so loosely, yeah. right? Yeah. And in the book, you say that you pray every day and your kids go to Sunday school. Did your relationship with God and your religion change throughout this? Um, That's a good question. I think it deepened. I really did. And I think I was able to, I really kind of had to articulate some things around my own faith and my own beliefs that I 
maybe been a little fuzzier about until you're like, what, what really is going to happen? And I'm still like, I don't really know what happens when you die. I really don't. I don't know for sure what's on the other side of this. What, if anything, is on the other side of this life? Um, but the big thing for me was when people say, you know, I'm praying for you. I'm always like, thank you so much. You know, or I set an intention for you. Like, whatever that is, I'm really grateful for. But for me, um, you know, I think the spirituality that I try to practice and the God that I believe in is about unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. And when I hear people say like, oh, I prayed for them and then they got better from their cancer, I just think, I don't think God works like that. I don't think God says like, you pay me enough in prayer and then I will cure that person's cancer like that seems like a very mean and spiteful God yeah. you know and then it's like but seems then, like a big job to watch everybody individually right, too, right you know? exactly it's a lot of email <laughs> right it's a lot of emails to go through I mean he has to have a really amazing filtering program yeah. you know I mean I think that the idea that like if if enough people pray for you and you get like it's not like a telethon like God's not waiting at the tote board to go like you get to live now you know I see it more as like Anytime that you put out love in the universe, um, anytime you are sending love in the direction of someone else, that is a, a wonderful, powerful thing that I have really felt. I have really felt that love, and I feel it. Um, I feel it through the prism of what I refer to as the divine. Um, but I don't. I don't believe in a God who grants favors, because I think that would be a really mean and petty kind of thing to do to people. Yeah, it's a, that's a very reasonable. <laughs> thank you so that's what i've come up with after getting cancer twice and having a bunch of people i love die of cancer and for being a medical miracle and for being a medical miracle <laughs> yes uh, that is such a nice note to end on but i have one more question okay okay on page 34 yes <laughs> please of I, remember you remember. It. I remember it you say when it's all over, you're going to open a bar across the street from the <laughs> hospital and terminal. What is the status of terminal? You know, um, well, the real estate situation in Manhattan is so tough is right it? now. Oh, tell us about it. <laughs> so I think that there's like a Starbucks across the street. So I have to figure out how to get the lease from them. Okay. And then I'll open up a bar called Terminal. And every, everyone will come. They will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, this was so much fun. Thank it was you. great. Terrific. Yeah. Thank you so much for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Um, where can everybody find more? Is it your website? the best place yeah yeah sure maryelizabethwilliams.net.net okay. .net, because you're not an opera singer exactly .com she will the... refer you to me though oh, we're friends she? yes we're friends we help each other through online yeah matters? yeah yeah we've but we've met we've hung out she's oh, funny. she's she's really the she's the superior mary elizabeth williams but, oh, sure. but i i get i get her runoff we'll leave that for out. debate so um <laughs> we're at .net okay. maryelizabethwilliams.net um and you can find all of our content of course on bookcircleonline.com as well as youtube and itunes we'll see you next week, guys. Goodbye. Thank you. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.